It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host, as well as one of the certified financial planners on the show, along with certified financial planners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Hey, how do you find a trustworthy financial planner? And when you're searching, what questions do you ask them to make sure that they're the right fit for you? We're answering that question and more coming up this hour of Wise Money. And speaking of, if you have a question, reach out to us. We'd love to answer it on an upcoming show. You can send us your question in a few different ways. First, give us a call or send us a text, 574-222-2000. Second, visit the show online, wisemoneyradio.com. Submit a question right there and catch up on previous episodes. Finally, track us, follow us, like us on Facebook, Twitter, at Wise Money Radio. You can submit questions that way as well. Erin submitted her question uh, using the website. We're kicking off the show with her question. Here's what she asked. My husband and I are moving for his job later this year, and we need to find a new financial advisor in the new city. How can we find someone that we can trust? Nice. Yeah. It's a good question. You know, um, before we would even address that question, though, you know, how, how do you begin a search and what questions do you ask? I, I read that question, and there's a, there's a primary question that needs to be addressed first, and that is, do you really have to get rid of the financial advisor that you have right now? You know, um, we, we have clients who move out of town all the time, and they'll move to other parts of the country, other parts of the state, and often one of the first questions is, hey, how do we keep on working together? Because, you know, m- maybe this is a relationship that's been built over the course of a decade or more, and that's something that they don't want to necessarily replace. Obviously, they're going to a new town and need a new mechanic and maybe a new landscaper, a new dentist, that sort of thing, but do they really have to replace the financial advisor in their life if it's someone that they trust and are working well with? Yeah, I'm not sure about the financial advisor that they have right now, but I, I can speak for our firm and our clients with technology and at least how we've intentionally built the business, we are able to serve folks. We have a lot of people that don't like this weather in the winter. I don't know yeah. why. Just throw some skates on, folks. <laughs> throw some skates on. You and, know what, uh, though? You, you mentioned technology, and with Skype these days, it really feels like you're almost right there with yeah. them. Yeah. I remember having a client move to Arizona, and I, I had my first meeting with them over Skype, and I was just kind of engrossed in the conversation, watching their body language, and I saw the wife shiver. And just instinctively, I stood up and started walking towards the thermostat to to turn it up a little bit. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I'm (laughs) talking to someone who's on the other side of the country here. Well, so we do have a lot of people from this area who like to spend the winter in Arizona or Florida, or we have a lot of people for their jobs that 
transfer overseas or to a different part of the country. And so we we are still able to serve them um, as well, if not even better, because they don't have to see our face uh, as often. Um, but so that is a good point. There's something good, though, about working with someone who's local that you can go sit across the table, you can shake their hand, look them in the eye, and just truly be in relationship with them, someone that you trust. Yeah, there is a geographic disadvantage. Yep. So if you are not in the same city as your financial advisor, I think one of the things that I would want to think about as well is what is a financial advisor? I think as a whole, our industry hasn't done a fantastic job at saying what is a financial advisor. That's a pretty generic term. When you think of a doctor, if you go to a podiatrist, you know what area of your body he's going to deal with. If you go to a proctologist, whoever you go to, <laughs> they're going. You know what's 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 likely going to be happening there. And but I think as a financial advisor, you could. The financial advisor could be um, someone who might just sell uh, life insurance, might just sell investments, might sell. Well, that, that's where I, we want to get into Aaron's question here. So, how do you find how do you find someone? And, and I was asked this question recently by someone: How do you find a financial advisor? And I don't. I'm curious what you guys think. I, I said, start with looking at these three things, and they're in order. Number one, you need to find someone who's a certified financial planner. Okay, the the CFP credentials are very similar to a CPA credentials for uh, for your tax preparer. Yeah, it's it kind of the gold standard. Isn't it, it shows that they've met a certain educational requirement. They've passed a board exam. I was reading in preparation for the show. I was reading an article I think on Yahoo Finance, and it was describing a CFP that they passed an exam. No, 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 folks. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's several exams and then a big comprehensive board exam. It takes takes a couple of years to do if you're doing it right. And about and a 50% pass rate. On actually, that. so when I was taking the test, the instructor right before he, he said go, said look to your left, look to your right, one of you will pass. And thankfully that turned out to be me on the first try. So that's great. The so. guy sitting next to you passed too because oh. we were looking at your paper. <laughs> like, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, but then the CFP has to adhere to certain <laughs> ethics as well. And so you want to start with a certified financial planner. You can find one on the CFP. CFP website, and I'm not sure if I have that website right in front of me here. Maybe I can track it down by the end of the show. But then second, then you want someone with the right character. Finding a financial advisor, especially starting online, it's hard to find someone with the right character. So there you could check with referrals, check with family members. Hey, do you, are you working with a comprehensive financial planning firm who is a CFP? Uh, but you might also check Kingdom Advisors. Or Dave Ramsey's website. Yeah, those are those are organizations that have kind of put their stamp of approval on certain advisors, maybe in your community. But I, I personally value the stamp of approval of someone that I trust and know. Um, you know, when I'm looking for a mechanic, who did I call? I called Kevin and said, Kevin, who do you trust? Right. Remember that time, Kevin, where Josh broke six vehicles for you in oh a year? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he, I, he needed that mechanic. I don't. I. You know what? I keep no record of wrongs. And, <laughs> you know, Josh hasn't really, other than the snowmobile, never mind, never mind. <laughs> so, I, so I think the other thing, when you think about working with a financial planner, that's a certified financial planner, someone who can operate in all the six areas of financial planning. You're really hiring a, think of 
about hiring a C-level executive for your team. So you're hiring a CFO. You will likely remain the CEO, but you're hiring a CFO, someone who can know your financial life as well as you do. And most folks don't have someone that they can talk to intimately about their finances. It's just in in our culture, for whatever reason, people are really careful about what they say and who they say it to. So I found for most of our clients, it's a relief just to have someone to talk to and as a sounding board or to say, hey, this this is what I'm hoping to do. Um, I'm looking for ideas. I'm looking for creativity, these types of things. And that's why you do want to find someone who does, who practices in all six areas of financial planning, which is where, again, I'd start with looking for a CFP. That gives, there are some CFPs that don't do comprehensive financial planning. There right. just are. True. Right. Um, but a lot, if you're going to find someone who does comprehensive financial planner, I would, uh, I would, I'm sure they'd be a CFP. That website, cfp.net, by the way. So let's say you find an individual, you find a couple, either referred from family members or you find online. There's several key questions that you're going to want to ask. And, and, and I want to go through a few of these on the air so that you're equipped. I think the first one that I would say, and we've talked about this really, you know, big word on the show before, are they a fiduciary, okay? And a CFP holds himself out as a fiduciary, meaning they hold themselves to the standard that they will only make recommendations that are in your best interest. Yeah, CFPs were uh, upholding that standard in in their practices long before it became kind of the the modern-day buzzword, Right. right? Right. So, and, and again, all that means is that they're putting your interests before their own mm-hmm. and that they're giving you the advice that is best for you. Yeah. And, and to contrast that, you're either a fiduciary or you're operating under a suitability standard, which means if you meet certain criteria and the person can get you to buy it, they can sell it to you. Now, there's been some laws passed through by the Department of Labor Labor to try and have all financial advisors be fiduciaries, and that's starting to be implemented in waves. But folks, some of the biggest financial advisor firms that you can think of right now currently are not operating as fiduciaries and they need to adapt their practice. So we're just getting started here, folks. How do you find the right financial planner for you? We've got that and listener questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard alongside Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory in the KFG studios. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. The content so far, we've been answering the question of the week, which is from Aaron. She said, how do I find a financial advisor? We're moving, looking for a new one. How do I find a financial advisor I trust? We're still unpacking that right now. If you have a question, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com or 574-222-2000, text or call, or on Facebook, Twitter, at Wise Money Radio. So we said, if you're hunting for a financial advisor, start by finding someone who's a certified financial planner. You can find that person by searching cfp.net 
or checking out some other websites or just hopefully asking a friend you want someone who's doing comprehensive financial planning how do you know what they're doing and 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 we're just diving into that right now what questions do you ask when you're sitting down in front of a potential financial advisor you know one of the questions i think has to be high on your list is have them explain to you what their process is Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they describe a situation where, oh, well, we're going to take your investments, we're going to analyze them and kind of benchmark and come up with our recommended portfolio for you, we'll sit back down together, we'll present it, and then help you implement. Obviously, they're focusing on just your investments, and that's not a comprehensive approach to planning. It's a key ingredient. It's important, folks. But it's a component. It's a component, but it's not the big. It's not the. It, it's not the end all. And in the example that I always give is, I had a client who's very, very, very focused on investments. Comes in every time, wants to talk about performance, and we talk about it. However, he he's asked us to do financial planning, and I've said, Ryan. You're saving 100 bucks a month. You need to be saving 1000 bucks a month. And great, great, great investment performance is not going to make up for that gap. That's a good point. So, so compare that, that process to someone, though, who says, hey, we're going to spend some time talking about your goals and your priorities, what you value most in life, and then gather some information from you, begin to build a game plan and an analysis. We'll sit down and start walking through all the areas of your financial life systematically in the order that makes sense for your unique situation. And this is going to take... How many meetings? Is this five, six, seven meetings to get through the process? That's a very different experience, but you would want to know up front uh, that maybe the the advisor that you've been uh, served by up to this point has been focusing primarily on investments, and we're hopefully coaching you to go out and find someone who will help you build an overall financial plan. Yeah, there have been a number of times where we've sat down with new clients and talked to them about what what their experience has been up to this point with financial professionals and they work with what they would call a financial advisor who really has only helped them in the area of investments and there's there that's what their expectation is of us can you help me with my investments and a number of times that i can think of their their biggest issue their, the gaping hole in their financial life was a tax issue and a tax opportunity that they were completely unaware of, whether they thought they were too old to contribute to a Roth IRA, go right on down the line. And those opportunities, a lot of times with with tax opportunities, it's kind of like the tree that falls in the forest. If the tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? And if I have a tax opportunity that I should be pursuing and I don't know about it, yeah. Is it really an opportunity? And <laughs> You're such a philosopher oh on life. We're, we're getting good. deep. Well, um, I'm the thinker. So I think, <laughs> but the other thing, and I just last night was meeting with some folks that have a, an incredibly high net worth and the liability limits on their vehicle were 100, 300. And I said, listen, my dad was an adjuster for State Farm for 36 years. They carry $100,000 checks in the ashtray of their company car. No, don't go following State Farm vehicles looking for, because they don't have ashtrays anymore in vehicles. So there you go. So No, but the, I mean, the point is, is that if your limits are 100, 300, the, the insurance company is going to write you a check for 100 grand because of an accident so quick it'll make your head spin. We call 100, 300 cookie cutter coverage. I mean, you 
you want you want your insurance right. to be in harmony with your entire financial life. Right. Well, and especially because Evan, one of our advisors, was in that meeting with me, and he just got a call from a family member who got the notice from the insurance company that the accident that he was in, the person has used all $100,000, and now the family member is on the hook for what's north of a hundred grand. Yeah, that's that's awful. That's a bad call. So another question, and I think this one is, is fairly obvious. We've already talked about it, actually, but what other credentials or qualifications or licenses does the financial advisor have that you're sitting down with? Here at KFG, again, I'm just speaking from our own experience, we have, uh, you know, every financial advisor has multiple, multiple designations and licenses. I'm, I'm looking at these, this question was from Kiplingers, and I was like, yeah, that's good to share. And they said, hopefully they have a CFP, yep, we've already talked about that, maybe a CPA, some financial advisors do, or something called an AIF, which is accredited, accredited investment fiduciary. Kevin has that, I have that, a few other people on our team have that. And so you'd want to ask, what other credentials do you have? That helps you get an understanding of what their experience is and education level is. Yeah, and it, to me, it's also a sign that they are staying cutting edge in oh, their own current. preparation. Is, yes. Keeping the saw sharp, so to speak, right? Mm, yep. You don't want someone who did their studying two de- decades ago and they've been kind of on autopilot doing the same thing over and over for for years and years. Someone who is staying up on current laws and new strategies, that sort of thing. Well, and one of the one of the questions that I came across as I was preparing for the show today, and you can't ask this in a job interview, but. And I don't even know if you'd even have to ask this question, but it's a great question. And that is, how old are you? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and so you say, well, should you, is it even appropriate to ask the question, how old are you? I would, I would venture a guess that most folks are able to look at someone and guess within 10 years how old they are. Hmm. And so if you are 60... And you're getting ready. You're, you're you got a million dollars in your four hundred one k. You're getting ready to leave work, and you're now going to be on the hook because you don't have the four hundred one k anymore. You're going to move that to your IRA, and you're going to need some help managing that. You may not want someone, a financial advisor, a financial advisor who's your same age, right. quite possibly, because if if you are thinking about retirement and you're sixty. It's quite possible that the gal sitting across the desk from you who's your same age might be thinking the same thoughts you're thinking. And so this is where um, at Corhorn Financial Group, I'm the old guy and I'm not quite at the uh, one third mark. Um, That comes next year, (laughs) uh, the big 5-0. And so I look at that and I say, but as the old guy, our advisors go right on you know, are stratified by age, and that's on purpose. So when I sit across the table from someone who's just a few years older than me, and they say, well, listen, I'm going to retire someday. How about you? I say, yep, I'll retire someday as well. But look at this guy sitting next to me. He's 24. Hmm. He's going to be here long after I'm gone, and we will institutionally be able to keep our promises to you. We, We have 
we do have an institution, we have a business. A lot of financial advisors just have a job. It's just them and someone at the front desk. Mm-hmm. And so I would I, I think the age concern is legitimate. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the the structure of the business, hey, if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, potential financial advisor who would serve me. What's the succession planning? Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you said, you had a question that maybe you wouldn't ask in a job interview. How old are you? I thought you were going to say something to the effect of what's your worldview or some of your beliefs, that sort of thing. Finding someone that you align with that thinks like you do may be important. I actually had a client, it was a prospective client, someone that was maybe a candidate to become a client. Um, They asked me point blank, are you a Republican? Well, because if you're a Democrat, this isn't going to work. Oh, just my goodness. said it just point blank. And, uh, you know, I, I assured him that I lean to the right, not to the left, and all was well. Well, you do. I mean, ultimately, you want you, you want to hire a financial advisor who, who you can get along with. That's right. right. And, and yep. who's going to advocate for your interests. We were just talking about that this morning. Another type of advisor who we said, we need you in our corner. And they displayed some things where they weren't really in our corner. So that's a good point. Uh, we've got a little bit more to hit there. But plus, how much money should you put into your house before you list it for sale? We've got that question and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike, alongside Josh and Kevin. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. So far, we're still tackling the question of the week from Aaron. How do you find a financial advisor that you trust? If you have a question, we'd love to hear from you talk about it on an upcoming show, visit us at wisemoneyradio.com to submit a question and catch up on previous episodes, or give us a call 574-222-2000. You can text us your question as well. All right. So Aaron's question, moving to a new city with my husband, we're going to be looking for a new financial advisor. How do we find one? Check out cfp.net to find a certified financial planner. Maybe also ping across Kingdom Advisors or Dave Ramsey's website to see someone as well. Certainly be asking friends and loved ones who you trust for referrals. Once you sit down in front of a prospective financial advisor, you want to have great questions that you're equipped to ask. And we've been talking through a few of those, but we've left a big one as well as a few other important ones here um, to hit right now. Well, I assume the big one that you're referring to is uh, how are you compensated? Yes. And it's it's interesting to me how often that question doesn't come up. It, I think people are afraid to ask it. Yep. May, maybe afraid of what the cost might be or how it might work. Because in our, and, and I'm just thinking of my recent meetings with new folks, I think I think I bring it up nine times out of 10, maybe 19 times out of 20. Sometimes someone will ask right at the beginning, but it's something we talk about in the very first time we're sitting down with with folks. But usually I have to bring it up and then sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, I was going to ask. But I think in large people are 
are concerned that they're going to offend someone or maybe won't understand. No, you need to understand how your financial advisor is getting compensated. Yeah, I think it, usually towards the end of the first meeting and we were asking a prospective client, so do you have any more questions or is anything I can answer or any way I can help you? And they say, no, I think I think we're good. You say, well, one of the questions that you haven't asked is how do I get paid? And you see this look of relief because yeah. and the and kind of the the, the, the the tension in their body posture just kind of leaves and they're like, Okay, good. He's asking the question that I wanted to ask and now he's gonna answer it. Yeah. So I guess we're saying hopefully you sit down with a financial advisor and they bring it up proactively right. and it's very clear. But if it's not, not you it's, need to ask that question. Right. It's not like going to the doctor and we've spent the Corhorn <laughs> family has uh, been really uh, supporting the medical community here <laughs> lately. And the, my favorite question to ask is, well, how much will this cost? And no one from top to bottom can answer that question. And I can tell you this, you're, if you're working with a certified financial planner, they should be able to write on the, the, the piece of paper that's right in front of you this is how we get paid. If we're serving you in this area, this is how we get paid. If we serve you in this area, this is how we get paid. If we're doing comprehensive financial planning, this is how we get paid. And we write that on the paper, and I always keep a copy of it, so I've got a copy of it. But I think it's important because that does give peace of mind, and it lets people be consumers. Do do I see the value there, and am I willing to trade that for that amount of cost. I, I think it also helps identify, is this advisor's interest in alignment with your interest? Yes. And if if the only way that they're going to be compensated is when you buy something from them, then that should give you a clue that maybe their process is going to build towards some sort of a product sale Yeah. because that's how they get paid. And if they can't get paid for spending time with you, then they're either very charitable or uh, they might be wasting their time and will want to move on to someone else. And that's not the kind of person you want in in your corner with you. Yeah, that's right. You know, if I was going to give one more question, um, I, I think this is an important one to ask, and that is, how does that financial advisor define success when they're meeting with their clients? Mm. If they start talking about things like rates of return and better performance and stuff like that, then you know you maybe need to keep on looking. The right answer, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, is that they should be measuring success based on you achieving your goals. In other words, you as the client are the one who determines success because you're the one who sets the target. Their job is just to help you zero in and improve the accuracy of your aim so that you hit the bullseye every time. Well, it's funny because I, I, and we didn't rehearse this. I didn't know that that was going to be one of your questions. But again, in new meetings with folks, I ask that question of them, Mr. and Mrs. Client. How would you define a successful relationship? And so I like, I like you throwing that out there proactively because, folks, when you're going into meet with a financial advisor, I, I would want you to be crystal clear on this is what I'm hoping to get out of this relationship. Right. And then, right. yes, when you, when you ask them what, you know, how, how do you define it, yeah, you'd want them to say, I'm helping you reach your goals, and here's how we're benchmarking to make sure that you're on track for your goals, that there's clarity and confidence. We bring that up all the time. I think it's important what you just said also. Um, the, you need to be judging this potential financial advisor on the quality of the questions that they're asking. 
And that's one thing that I hope for in every first meeting is, boy, can I get them to say, huh, no one's ever asked me that before. Mm. Or, wow, that's a good question. I don't know. Because now you're starting to kind of drive their thinking into areas that they weren't going to go on their own. And that's how a financial advisor should be adding value in your life, is helping you do the things or think about the things that you wouldn't think about on your own. Yep. And I think when you go to a meeting with a financial planner, one of the things that you'd want to do when you walk away is you want to say, do I feel like I have been listened to? And I'm just thinking of just this past week where we were seeking some professional advice and I was talking to someone who I thought could help me. And yet when I got done with the conversation, I thought this person has not listened to me. They do not know what I'm trying to say and they don't really understand what I'm asking them to do. And it felt like they were kind of pushing and saying, well, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I wasn't asking you to do that, that, and that. So it's it's very it's very interesting. And one of the things that I would just, uh, this is a freebie that I would throw in here. <laughs> if, you, if you're married, make sure you're going with your spouse to these oh, meetings. definitely. Uh, good definitely. advice. And if you're not married, bring someone with you. So if you are older and you are single, widow, widowed, whatever you are, bring someone with you who can hear what's being said at the meetings. Because when you walk away, you're going to want a sounding board. Ideally, if you're older and single, you're bringing one of your adult children. If you're younger and you're single, bring one of your friends who's a trusted confidant that you're not, not everyone wants to share their entire financial life with their best friend, but who, who is trustworthy and wise in these matters who can help you process through this? Because this, this really, if it's done well, it's a team sport. This, this, your financial life and reaching your financial goals is not an individual this is not wrestling it's not cross country Mm -hmm. think the beautiful game think soccer you want the right players on the field fulfilling their roles doing what only they can do you mean hockey yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the picture. I think you meant basketball. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tuck one more. I I completely agree, Josh. I'm gonna tuck tuck one more in. I think you're gonna want to ask the prospective advisor. Well, I'm gonna make a, a a twofer here. What do you bring to the table that no one else does? Mm. And then, what does the ongoing experience for me look like for your clients? And because ultimately you're going to want to sit down with a financial advisor who does believe in what they do. I mean, for us, we talk about changed lives because we've seen it. People come in with big financial questions or issues or whatever. And after working and having that clarity and confidence going through that process, their life, their life has changed. And so you want someone, you want to ask, hey, what do you do that no one else does? We really deeply believe in our approach and how we help people. And that's evident in talking to us. And so I love love answering that sort of question. You're going to want to ask. And then second, what's the client experience? What's the ongoing experience? We often tell people right off the bat, it's kind of like a marriage. 
you know, so I hope you like me. <laughs> if not, we've got a problem. We need to keep talking. But hopefully uh, we're with each other and walking through this for a long time. Well, yeah. And if you don't like your advisor, you're not going to take their advice. That's and it's right. going to be miserable if you're dreading the phone call or the email from your advisor. It's not going to go well. Yeah. So how much money should you put into your house before you list it? We've got that question from Brad coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hope your Saturday is going great. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard alongside Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn in the KFG studios. If you've missed anything, Check us out, wisemoneyradio.com. You can see, listen to all the previous episodes. I said, see, we are live streaming right now. It's just not yet. We're still getting the bugs worked out. My hope is to have it on the YouTube channel in two weeks, folks. That's my hope. Come on. We're practicing. So, uh, But you can listen to previous episodes right there on the website. You can also check us out, iTunes and Google Play. Listen to the podcast right there. If you have any questions, wisemoneyradio.com or call or text 574-222-2000. Got a great question here from Brad. Brad is 48. Is it smart? I think he meant wise. Okay. But is it smart to put a lot of money into improving your house before you list it for sale? What do you guys think? I think that's a great question, Brad. Way to go. Um, I think if you believe in professional advice which we do. We're purveyors of professional advice, but we believe in using professional advisors. And I think of the times that I've spent a good chunk of money on professional advice, it's come back to me in spades. So when I'm spending money on professional advice, it's an investment. It's not a, it's not a spend, it's an invest. So I would invest in professional advice from a real estate professional, Brad. And I think of back in... 2010, we were selling our house in the subdivision. Market hadn't recovered yet. Real estate market still in the dumps. Okay. Right. We're there. And, picturing it. And people would come in and spend about five minutes in your house and walk out. And if your house was not absolutely perfect, they, they wouldn't even spend five minutes in your house mm. because there were lots and lots of there's lots of inventory, lots of supply, and not many people bold enough to make the move. And we had a real estate professional come in, and they looked, and they said, look, these gold fixtures, they're, they're not in style anymore. Get rid of these. This Formica countertop, you need a hard surface. And it ended up being about ten grand that we spent. Mm-hmm. But we actually sold our house before the one, the one just down the street sold, and that had been on the market three months before we put ours on the market. Hmm. So the investment that we had in listening to professional advice from a great realtor, and if you're looking for great realtors, call Diane Bennett yep. and her team at Inspired Homes. You can go to the Wise Money Radio uh, website and get a, a link to... 
yep. the inspired homes if you want, but hire a professional. And a lot of times what people are prone to do is to focus on, yeah, but if I hire a professional who's going to give me great advice on how to sell my house, and then they're going to market it for me, and then they're going to walk me through closing and get all that done, I'm going to pay X amount of dollars. Yep. And it should be by far the best investment that you make. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm assuming that most of the advice that realtors, other professionals out there would give are that it's often smaller projects, more of the cosmetic type things that are going to give the most bang for the buck. It is swapping out a fixture. That's not that expensive. It's just a little weekend project that you could do or, you know, you have your clever, you know, crafty uncle who's a handyman. He can do it for you. Mm. Um, but but the point is, if, if you're thinking about some big major overhaul to your kitchen, you know, complete kitchen remodel just to get the house on, on the market, that may not be a project that can have a good return on investment for you yep. unless it somehow moves your house into a new tier because you're kind of competing with other houses that have certain amenities. But that's exactly what a realtor would know. These are people who walk through hundreds, maybe thousands of houses every single year, and they know what your house is stacking up against. And on behalf of all of the realtors out there, I'm going to ask you a big favor, Brad. Get a realtor involved before you do anything. What people are tempted to do is the Ready, Fire, Aim program. So I'm going to start several different projects around the house. And then when my wife says, you haven't touched those projects for two months, when are we going to get this house sold? Then I call a realtor in and I've created a mess that's that's totally unnecessary. I think of what we're selling one of the houses that we lived in in Brendan Hills and we had I had all these ideas how I wanted the house to look before it was ready to be sold and the realtor that came in and was helping us said don't do that don't do that don't do that don't do that paint the pink trim around the top of the kitchen and that's it. Hmm. And I, I was kind of frustrated because I could see. Yeah, you, I remember you loved that pink. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I, I do remember that. Very he wanted to the, you, wasn't the it? border. It's is that what it's called? The yeah, border. Yeah. So he wanted yeah. the pink border to be neutralized. And I'm all about <laughs> neutralizing pink borders. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's there's a budgeting principle in here as well that I think is maybe worth mentioning, and and that is sometimes when people go to sell their house. There's a laundry list of repairs that need to be done to the house. So this, I I would call this different than home improvements. Home repairs are just kind of keeping things in tip-top shape, keeping it fresh and clean and operating. And those are things that need to be part of your monthly budget throughout all of your home ownership experience. Mm -hmm. And it's an important consideration when you're choosing how much house you can afford. You have to have a maintenance plan and, more importantly, maintenance dollars that you can put into your house that you don't get to the end of your home ownership experience, you're ready to sell, and you've got all this work that needs to go into it just to get it market ready. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, you, you so next question comes from Rachel, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it in just a second, and it's about budgeting, but you've got, I mean, if, if you've had this house for 30 years and you haven't put any money into fixing the little things that are, you know, you know you've got to jiggle the handle three times before the door opens or something like that. Yeah, you, you need to have some regular maintenance done. And I would even argue some regular updating so it doesn't get the best of you. 
and get way past you. And that all leads back to to the budget. So hopefully you can carve that in. And Brad, hopefully that helps you. Rachel is next. She's 34. Here's what she asked. I feel like I need to get a better handle on my spending and I'm not sure where to turn. I know there are a lot of budgeting tools out there, but which one is best for a beginner? Where do I start? Thank you. Well, I I think the very first step anytime you're beginning a budgeting uh, process is you have to be able to have raw, objective, true data. You need to be able to look at your spending honestly and say, yeah, that's how much I spend on groceries or boy, this is the reality of my uh, clothing budget and and so on. And one of the best ways that I've found to be able to track that, I always used to early in my career suggest that people carry around a little notebook and write everything down as you spend it. Now technology will do that for you. Tools like mint.com, for example, we've mentioned it on this show before. It's one that you literally can carry it in your pocket on your phone. You essentially connect this app to your credit cards or your bank accounts, anything where you are uh, transacting business, spending money, uh, it will track it for you. And then you can categorize it and actually run some reports and, and have that honest feedback on what reality is today. Then you can go to work starting to build a budget on how you want your money to be directed. I actually couldn't disagree more. I love, awesome. I love Mint. <laughs> I love Mint for tracking your budget. It's a terrible tool, in my opinion, for building your budget. And I agree with that. So um, I disagree on our disagreement. <laughs> for the I record, think, I think you were saying start with getting a sense for what your current spending habits are, which is yeah. not a budget. That is that's true. That's yeah. tracking your spending. That's that's true. I'd rather have you know what your goals are. So the analogy of you've got rocks, you've got pebbles, you've got sand and water. What are the big rocks in your financial life? Put those in first. And those rocks are your goals. Figuring out, sitting down with a financial planner or whatever to identify how much needs to go towards these goals and then find a way to fit everything else in. Then you build that in Excel, in my opinion, something where you can see it all right there. And then you track it using Mint. So I would just reverse the order. And I think I, I, I know what you're saying. I couldn't agree more, Mike. <laughs> that is beautifully said. So in the spirit of the speed round, Rachel, great question. Budgeting is a foundational tool. It is. It has to be in place. If you want to be successful financially, you have to have the skill of being able to build and track a budget. If you're out there listening to our answers to Rachel and you say, hey, I'm not into technology, use the envelope system. There are simple, basic skill building tools that don't require technology. Of course, we prefer technology because we're getting leverage and and, and, uh, uh, trying to simplify. So, Mikey B., what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Aaron, Brad, and Rachel for your questions being part of the Wise Money Show. That's all the time we have for today, folks. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, myself, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.